This is Dan Fleisch, and this is the sixth podcast for Section 3.1 of A Student's Guide to Maxwell's Equations. This podcast is about the rate of change of magnetic flux, and the relevant section of the text begins on page 69. When you look at the right side of the common form of Faraday's law, it looks as though there's a lot going on there. It's got derivative with respect to time and an integral over a surface and a dot product and a unit vector. But like every law in physics, if you take it apart and consider the components, it's very understandable. In this case, a big chunk of the right side of Faraday's law, the surface integral of b dot n hat dA, you've already seen. Back in chapter 2, specifically on page 48 and in the podcast that goes along with that section, we saw that this expression is just the flux of the magnetic field through a surface S. Now, when I was an undergraduate and first saw this, I had fallen a little behind in the reading. I had just read about Gauss's law for magnetic fields, and when the professor wrote the integral form of Faraday's law, I saw that integral of b dot n hat dA over a surface, and I immediately volunteered that I knew that to be zero, because after all, Gauss's law tells us that the magnetic flux through a surface is zero. But of course, I had missed a key point, and that is that Gauss's law tells us that the magnetic flux through a closed surface must be zero. But the right side of Faraday's law deals not with the magnetic flux over a closed surface, but rather the magnetic flux over any surface S. So I hope you realize, as I didn't, that the total magnetic flux must be zero only for a closed surface, because we know that in the absence of magnetic monopoles, as many field lines must go into the enclosed volume as come out of it. But for an open surface, there can be many more lines of the magnetic field penetrating the surface in one direction than in the other. Therefore, there can certainly be a net magnetic flux through an open surface, and specifically in the case of Faraday's law, the amount of flux penetrating that surface can change with time. And when that flux changes with time, it's the rate of change of magnetic flux that plays in Faraday's law. Of course, there are lots of ways that the magnetic flux through a surface can change. If you look in almost any E&M book, this section of the book probably has more problems than any other because it's so easy for us to make up problems with changing magnetic flux. Three possibilities are listed on the bottom of page 69 there in the little bullet list, and an illustration of each one is shown on the next page in figure 3.5. The first possibility considered here is that the magnitude of B changes. That is, the strength of the magnetic field varies, and of course we said that the strength of a field can be represented by the density of field lines across a surface perpendicular to the way the field is pointing. So if the density of field lines is changing over time, then of course the total number of field lines through a given surface will also be changing. And we said that the number of field lines through a surface is the very definition of magnetic flux. So possibility one, the strength of B is changing. That case is illustrated in figure 3.5a by a magnet that's moving toward a loop. Imagine that that loop is the boundary path for a surface. For example, say there's a flat membrane stretched across that loop. As the magnet moves to the left, the magnetic field strength over that surface is going to increase. Therefore, the leftward magnetic flux is going to increase, and there will be a time rate of change of magnetic flux through that surface. Another possibility is that the angle between the magnetic field B and the normal to the surface might be varying. One way to accomplish this is shown in the B part of figure 3-5, where there's a loop rotating in a uniform magnetic field. 
Once again, imagine that there's a membrane stretched across that loop and ask yourself how many field lines are penetrating that membrane. That's a measure of the magnetic flux over that surface and that's clearly going to be changing as the loop rotates. Another possibility is that the area of the surface might change. Even if the strength and the direction of the magnetic field are constant, the area might not be. For example, look at the shrinking loop in figure 3-5C on page 70. If you imagine the area encompassed by that loop, as the loop gets smaller, fewer field lines are going to penetrate that area, and therefore the magnetic flux over that surface will be decreasing. The common thread running through all these mechanisms is, of course, that the magnetic flux over an area is changing. When that happens, an EMF, an electromotive force, is induced along any path that is an edge or a boundary for that surface. And that's what Faraday's Law, or if you prefer, the flux rule, is telling you. A changing magnetic flux produces an EMF. Remember, it's not the amount of flux that matters. In any of the three scenarios shown in Figure 3-5, I could have shown tons of field lines penetrating each of those surfaces, and unless the flux is changing, no EMF would be induced around that loop. It is the change in flux that leads to the EMF. You're going to be able to look at some examples of how to apply this law, but first you should consider the direction of the induced EMF, which is described in the next section about Lenz's Law.